Hey, hey, it's the Productize Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm talking to my friend Chris Badgett. He is the co-founder of Lifter LMS. That's Lifter and LMS stands for Learning Management System. That's a WordPress plugin, really popular one for creating a course or a membership or both on WordPress. And I'm actually using it myself now for the Productize course, getting my hands dirty with it a little bit and really enjoying it. But, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation with Chris as I always do because he's done a really incredible job of building a community around his product and his brand. He's done a lot with Facebook groups, a lot with just connecting with customers on a regular daily basis, some really unique tactics that we actually got into in this conversation. You're really going to enjoy that section of the call. You know, we talked about the WordPress market a little bit too. I know we haven't really covered that a lot in this podcast, uh, but here's a guy who really knows this market well. I'm using the freemium model specifically in the WordPress ecosystem is a unique opportunity, I think. So we covered that as well. And then of course, combining services with software. Uh, Lifter has been doing that to great effect, you know, offering their course software plugins with some done for you setting up of membership site and courses. So yeah, we covered a lot of ground as always. Here we go. Here is my conversation with Chris Badgett. Enjoy. All right. I'm here with Chris Badgett. Chris, how's it going, man? Awesome. Good to be here, Brian. Yeah. So you are the founder of Lifter LMS, which stands for Learning Management System. It's a really popular WordPress plugin for setting up a course or a membership or a mix of both on your WordPress site. I'm sure you can give a better introduction to it and how you describe like what you do today. So yeah, what do you do? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, which makes it easy to create, sell, and protect engaging online courses from a WordPress website. Um, leading into that, my background is I actually came from the outdoor industry. I used to live in a remote part of Alaska. I was not a technologist at all. And after the birth of my first kids, I got into freelancing. I started building websites for money and slowly that evolved into, you know, services, building a team and to where we sit today as a product business. Yeah. Very cool. So I'm excited to talk, you know, you know, I have known each other for a little while now and, uh, I always enjoy kind of talking to you and following what you and your team has been doing with this product for a few reasons. So there's a few things I want to kind of get into here. First of all, just the process of getting into a WordPress product, a plugin product, and the pricing model, which I think is very unique. We'll, we'll touch on that. But what I think you're really skilled at and, and have done a really great job is building the community almost as like a marketing channel around your product, which has been doing really well. I want to kind of pick your brain about that. And I'm now a Lifter user myself. I'm rebuilding the productized course area all using Lifter, which is pretty exciting as well. I've been getting my hands dirty with it and I, I really enjoy it. So, you know, let's let's get into it. Let's, let's get into your story a bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned that you come from the outdoor industry. How did you get started in all this? Like, when did you go freelance? Um, well, for about 10 years, I lived in Alaska. I managed a helicopter-supported sled dog tour business on a glacier. And during that period of my life, I lived without a lot of technology for a lot of it. During the summer, anyways, I lived up on the ice field, very low tech. And that's where I actually learned the skills of leadership, running a team. I had a crew of about 30 people, a couple hundred sled dogs, you know, many, 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 many tourists coming through. So that was like a tourist, op people come visit and they want to kind of get that experience and you kind of guide them through that. Exactly. They come in on a cruise ship and they fly up in a helicopter and really just seeing that as a side note, as a marketer, 
seeing the cruise ship come in, seeing the people get off qualified, looking for something to do. It was really where I was like, wow. So that's what like crushing demand looks like. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, there's so much I learned about just business from that experience that later I translated into technology. But during that period of my life, um, probably like some of the folks listening to this podcast, uh, you know, I was, I was interested in stuff like the four hour work week. I started listening to the Tropical MBA podcast back in the day, a long time ago. Still listen to that one. And I realized I just, that's where I had this budding entrepreneurship inside of me. I started doing some stuff like building some uh, spec properties and getting into rental real estate and, you know, stuff like that with the money I was saving because you can't spend money on a glacier in Alaska. But on the side, I started, it was actually through my real estate stuff that I started playing around with the internet. This is early days, Google AdWords. And building a HTML website with a video to sell some land I bought in Alaska. That's where my like marketing and web journey began. And over time, I just developed a passion for uh, and an interest. I can't explain it where just building websites was fun for me. And I'm not a coder. I can't write a single line of code. But WordPress was you know, that democratizing force that made it so anybody could build a, a website. And then later, I started charging for it. You know, People started asking me to do hey, build a, a website for a real estate developer, it was a subdivision. And then from there, I just grew and it, all the way up to the point where I had a, I combined my company with another company and we got up to about 17 people and we did custom WordPress development, specializing mostly in the online course and membership space. And some of our clients were huge. Our biggest project, you know, we were doing they were spending over six figures a year. So like what period of time, like how long did you go from kind of solo, just messing around doing your own little projects on WordPress to having a team of 17 people as like a, basically a WordPress agency? So I was solo and struggling probably for about three years. And then I started hiring people to work with me. And then I had about two years with that. And then really another couple of years of really blowing that big by merging my company with another similar company. And then we ultimately, inside of all that, that's where we got big. We started serving some high-end clients and you know, our clients basically bootstrapped the product. And so you, you said that you guys started like focusing on courses and membership type of projects for clients? Correct. So our sweet spot had to do with member systems, e-commerce, clients that knew a thing or two about marketing and cared about like the you know, conversions and, you know, good sales page design and stuff like that. But also the reason why we could charge so much is because this isn't me. I don't write a single line of code, but if they had a business problem they want solved, we would build that on top of WordPress. It, it really doesn't even matter that that's the underlying architecture, but we would write custom, you know, development to build software on top of a standard WordPress website. And this was bespoke and unique stuff. This isn't just putting plugins together. What year was this? This would be in 2000 and a height of our agency time was around 2012, 2013. Okay. So uh, not too long ago and the WordPress plugin ecosystem was definitely uh, up and running by then, I, I guess. But the it's not what it is today. You know, here we are in 2018 where they're, it's, especially membership plugins, it just seems like it's such a competitive landscape. But, you know, before we jump ahead, I mean, is that how you guys basically came up with Lifter? Was that like a custom software that you were building for clients that eventually you... Yeah. So I, at the time I had two business partners. Now there's just two of us, but one of my business partners uh, was like, what product are we going to build? 
And like, let's do a product. And we're like, well, we're really good at this thing. This is what we specialize in. These are the types of clients who approach us. I'm actually a course creator myself. I started, you know, doing my side hustle. I have this whole organic gardening permaculture online course business that I still get money from today. So I, I really understand the psychology and the mind of the course creator and the membership site builder because I am one. So it was just the obvious play. And it was really hard. It was really, really struggled a lot. When we first launched it, we only had 42 customers and it started as a paid product. I had a, an email list of zero. You know, by the time through all the launch, we had an email list of about 800 people. You know, it was a journey getting it to where it is today. And it took a lot of money and time investment to even get it going and off the ground. It wasn't like an easy plugin that solved a simple problem. Right, right. And I mean, so many, especially web designers, developers, so many people struggle with this, with that, making that transition from client work to building a product and not only the building of it, but, but marketing it. Like, how did you guys approach that? And like, were you methodic about like what product, what space we should go into? Where is the opportunity? Is this validated? Or, or were you just kind of like throwing this idea at the wall and maybe like leveraging your, your byproducts? Like, how did you think about that in the early days of trying to get into the, doing the product? I mean, we were kind of bullheaded about it, even when like we weren't, you know, we're kind of lean startup style, you know, pre-selling, build interest, test demand. And even when we weren't hitting our success metrics that we said, if we don't hit these, we're going to shut it down. We kept going anyways. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, but I, I mean, I, you had a team, so it's like you had the resources there. You had the people, obviously, you know, it's not paid client work. You're investing in building your own products, but like, I know that there have been different strategies, like kind of treating a product as if it were a client project or, yeah, how do you guys think about that? So the, the big challenge is client work always cannibalizes the product stuff. I mean, it's all very exciting and you get the launch, but then when it comes down to it, you know, the client work, it just literally crushes the product. So you have to like treat it like a separate company. So, I mean, I could do both in terms of, you know, kind of in the... I guess the executive role or whatever of being product owner and helping run, keep operations going on the client side. But when it came time to put a developer on the product, you know, I tried for as much as I possibly could to protect it. We call putting them in the cave so that they can't know this client emergency cannot come in here and jeopardize the launch or whatever. So it's very challenging. It really is a challenge. Um, yeah, because like even just those small requests can kill an entire day of, of momentum, you know? So who was the target customer at that time early on? And maybe I guess until today, but like, how did you identify who the ideal customer was? How did you start to get your very first customers who would be like do-it-yourself course creators rather than clients who would hire an agency to build it? Because I, I'm sure that, that that's a very different clientele, right? So I read, read a great book called Crossing the Chasm. It's an old school business book that talks about identifying your beachhead market. And I'm a, if I was going to launch a new product now, like I would do a lot of things differently. But I think my advice to the first timer would definitely be to scratch your own itch. So since I personally am the target market and still am, our beachhead market, our first market, which we call education entrepreneurs. Um, these are people who are like have an idea and want to get their side hustle going, or they already have like successful expert guru business, whether they're a speaker, an author, consultant, and they're trying to, you know, package that into an online course and membership. This kind of guru industry was just clearly our target. These people were naturally attracted to the pre-launch material without even much effort. 
And the way I discovered this demand actually had to do when I was building my online course business around gardening and permaculture. As a blogger, I just started blogging about, hey, these are the tools I'm using. This is you know, WordPress and this is how I'm putting this together back in 2011 or whenever that was. So you had like a personal blog that you were doing this on? This was my original budgetwebdesign.com website, which is still up and gets leads for us to this day. But it was the first time I ever had a blog post go viral. And not like in a crazy sense, but just most people didn't read anything I wrote. But I started writing about online courses and everything. And then I started getting client requests or like, hey, how did you do that? And this kind of thing. So that's how, you know, where I started detecting a clear signal was here. And the, the people, you could just see the patterns of like, okay, this is an expert in this situation or this is someone who's trying to get in the game. Got it. And so how did you handle pricing and what did the product look like in, in, in like a version one? And how did you kind of get your very first paying customers on it? The very first customers were actually our, our high-end clients. Uh, so we were installing it in their like live production sites. Some of these sites are grossing over a million dollars a year. So the thing had to work. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't no messing around, but that was how we were able to bootstrap it. Pricing was really just guessing. Um, I knew from the beginning that we wanted to be a uh, premium brand. So I've always been about high-end prices because... I don't know. I've just seen people struggle with like stuff that's way too cheap or, and that kind of thing. I couldn't agree more. I, I always think it's uh, like when you're looking at the competitors in your space, you're entering a market where there is competition, which is the case for most markets now. I always find it's better to either price the same or a little bit above what the competitors are pricing and try to uh, like what they call like aspirational pricing, right? Like, you know, add more value to justify that rather than try to compete on price. Absolutely. And if you look at it today, we have one in the entire WordPress ecosystem. Our add-on bundle is $1,000. It's currently on sale for um, a little less than that as we finish launching all the products into it. But um, yeah, premium pricing is important. And then we made it... We always knew from the early days that we wanted to have a free front-end product. But it was really important to us as a you know kind of lean startup validation thing that the very first version was going to be paid. But then, and then a couple of years into the project, we transitioned to freemium and made our core product free and made money on the add-ons. So that was a major change. Very good call based on hindsight. So just to clarify, like you in the beginning, it was basically one plugin and you had one price point for that. $150. Yeah. $150 for like a site or three sites or something like that. Yeah. And then how did that go? And then how did that lead to the change to go freemium for the core WordPress plugin and then sell separate add-ons? Uh, so like, how do we think about that? You mean? Well, I guess as a brand new product, I know that you're selling it to like your clients and, and, and everyone, but like, how did you get early traction to a point where like, this is actually a viable business that justifies your investment in it? I see. So the first thing is, you know, we weren't making a lot of money. We weren't getting a lot of sales initially every month. I mean, we had a nice launch. Our initial launch, I think we made somewhere around seven, $8,000. We opened it up for a week and then we, we actually closed the cart and we put it on ice and we stayed with those like first 42 customers for a couple months before we relaunched it to the public. That's kind of a, a way to just make sure you're not like overcommitting and you're taking really good care of your early adopters and you're continuing to evolve it before you're ready for prime time. But then once we got it up to a point where we were doing, you know, somewhere around like without marketing and launches, I think it was around four or five grand a month, which isn't a lot for a product that has multiple people working on it. 
Um, we wanted to basically, it was kind of like grow or die. So what we had to do is like, okay, what can we do for distribution? Well, let's put it in the WordPress repository. I have a free version. And literally in 30 days, our revenue was like back to where it was with the freemium model. So that worked very well and continued to grow from there. And then we got into like add-ons and bundles. And over time, it's, you know, that was a transition. So paid to freemium to bundles. Interesting. So now like your add-ons, you have like something like 20 different add-ons. Like you could have like a Stripe add-on and a PayPal add-on and a, all this other stuff. Like if you're integrated, if you have like a specific need, because that, that's the thing with these membership and course plugins is like everybody has like a unique set of specific technical needs and everyone's a little bit different. And so they don't need everything built into the core product. You just need like two or three things. And that's why the add-on model for something like this really just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's definitely the big challenge. I mean, and when you're validating a product idea or anything, like the pre-sales emails we get, the list of requirements, sometimes we get these like giant five paragraph emails like People need it to be flexible. So the add-on model is really helpful. The other thing we also do, which ties into something else you want to talk about, which is community, is we've really invested a lot in helping other developers build products for Lifter. So there's a lot of add-ons out there, free and paid, not made by us. Um, there's not a ton, but we have the, the, we're at the beginning of that, like, you know, the app store playbook type thing. Right, right. And you're right. That is something that I wanted to get into with you. Also, you know, we're going to touch on services as well, combining your kind of productized services with the Lifter product as well. But on the community aspect, that's something that really sticks out to me when I look at what you, you've been doing compared to what most software founders are doing these days. Like you seem to be incredibly active in your Facebook group. I guess it's a private Facebook group around the Lifter brand. Can you talk a bit about that? Like when did that start and what's your approach to that? Yeah. So our Facebook group is an example. It used to really suck. I, I used to be just putting like, you know, anytime we make content, it was just another distribution channel. And then uh, one time, one of my customers, like one of the things I've always done is I'll get on the phone with customers like a lot. Like right before this call, I was on the phone actually with a prospect. But uh, I do things that don't scale because if I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's going on, my judgment is poor and it, it's just me and my own head. Um, but one of my customers challenged me about the quality of my Facebook group. And the next day, I, you know, I changed the name. I invited more people to it and I really committed. So anyways, that's part of that story. But there's a couple of things that are key to building a thriving community. I mentioned the community of developers. That's a community. There's a community of affiliates. Like we use ShareSale and I do a lot of stuff with our affiliates to make sure they're set up for success with their promotions, especially the ones who do you know, the majority of it or get the best results with it. I interact with them as much as I can. So we've got the prospect community and then there's the customer community. And so basically the secret sauce, and it, there's also like the industry you're in, there's that whole community. like Yeah, like other forums, other communities that you would go participate in. Yeah, like the world is a small place. This is another lesson I learned, you know, in Alaska, like hanging out with like the elite in the sled dog, I did a rod mushing community. They're like, when you go deep in a community, the world's not that big. Right. So like, for example, hanging out with you, I've heard about you from Tropical MBA a long time ago. I was at this Cabo Press event and Phil Dirksen was talking about you and MicroConf and it's all connected. You know what I mean? Totally. So Basically, it's about making strategic investments there. But more than that, it's about habits. And I can share some of that. Well, that's exactly what I want to pick your brain about. Because this, you know, just building community, that's something that I've been thinking a ton about this year going into 2018. It's definitely something that I want to improve 
around the stuff that I've been doing. And, and I have been challenged, you know, from folks in my community just saying, you know, it's not active enough. I don't get in there as much or as frequently as I should. But it's the habits. It's the daily habits. Like I always feel like I have a lot of work to do on my business, on my projects. And if I'm spending any time, you know, hanging out in a forum or on Twitter or on Facebook, you know, it's fun, it's interesting, but I don't feel as productive as when I'm building a product or working on a marketing campaign or something. But at the end of the day, like the community and the audience and the engagement is really what pays off the most. So it's like, how do you how do you get into that habit? Like as a founder, co-founder of a company, like how do you spend the time? What does your day look like? How much time do you commit to community stuff? Yeah, this is a great question. I'm going to totally share my secret sauce here. Um, the first thing I have to say before I get into it though, is that I have a business partner who's, you know, I'm kind of like the CEO. My business partner, Thomas, is the CTO. So in a software company, you know, you got to have the rainmaker and you got to have the engineer. That can be all in one person, but Every day I'm grateful that I don't have to do it all because I would not be nearly as effective or have as much capacity to do community building if I didn't have a strong technical partner. Um, but in terms of the habit, I really break down. I'm a very habit-driven person. For example, I have a morning routine that typically starts at 5 a.m. It ends at 9 a.m. And I've gotten a ton of stuff done before 9 a.m. And then there's also certain blocks on my calendar related to community building that happen every week and also every day. So in terms of habits... I have something I do called enlightened multitasking is what I call it, which means I actually do a lot of deep work where I'm like really focused on one thing. But social media is not like that. And it's really not my strength. My strength is more like going really deep on something or, you know, getting into a a strategy situation or, you know, working with building the team. These are really my strengths. I'm not a natural community builder. Um, so there's a couple of things I do. The first on a more macro level is I plan to go to some live events every year. Like, and I'm an introvert. So this isn't something I do a ton of, but I, I'd like to go to at least, you know, four or five big events in my industry or where my customers are going to be. That's huge. But also not just going and soaking it in. I will do a lot of work about studying who's there, connecting with them, trying to add value, trying to, you know, give whatever I can and just collaborate. So that's huge. It's just like getting outside of the, you know, the home office or whatever and doing the live event stuff. Couldn't agree more. And like I don't get out to enough conferences. I go to a couple every year, but like every time I consider going out to a conference, especially if a flight is involved, I'm like, eh, I don't know, it's a long way to go, kind of a big investment. Am I really going to get a lot out of it? But then every time I do go out to a conference, good things tend to happen. <laughs> You know, like whether it's meeting people and that, and that leads to really interesting things. And Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's just one relationship that you walk away with, even if there were like thousands of people there, but there's this one new friendship that's totally worth it. I'm curious about like on a typical week, you said that you actually block off spots in your calendar to work on community. Like what are the tasks that you're actually doing in there? How do you organize that? That's awesome. So on the macro level, I see sales as three things, inbound, outbound, and relationships. So inbound is content marketing, outbound is cold prospecting, relationships is, you know, social events and all that stuff. So with it under the umbrella of prospecting, I send at least five cold emails a day, which is where I am actively trying to develop community or a relationship with someone who doesn't know me at all. And that's just a habit. I don't like doing it. Nobody, I don't think many people like doing it and I'm not being sleazy or salesy and I don't follow up or 
uh, like indefinitely. I just, hey, maybe there's something here. I, it never hurts to ask. So that the prospecting habit is very powerful. And I've gotten some amazing connections through that. So you're just finding like basically five companies a day to just send a, a cold email. Like they, something about their website or something indicates that they might be a, a fit for Lifter. Correct. Or I uh, just connect on social media about something. But I'm always trying to add value and not be spammy. You know, and sometimes I'm playing the long game in the sense that I'm not even talking about Lifter. I'm just seeing if I can connect with this person or just appreciate them for something that I got value out of. It's awesome. So there's that. Um, the other one is just every day I spend like, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes in my Facebook group. And I'm not the only one. My team goes in there too. And it, I also, uh, for our highest level customers, we host a weekly office hours call that's live where they come and some of the best you know people who are doing a lot of interesting things and looking for strategy or advice or tech help, they come to that. That's like today actually at 4 p.m. So is the Facebook group, is that only for like customers of the add-ons of Lifter or can anybody join it or how does that work? Anybody can join it. And I intentionally named it with a very cheesy SEO rich title. So the name of the Facebook group is Online Course Creators, Membership Site Owners, and Lifter LMS VIPs. <laughs> so if someone is searching Facebook for like, oh, I want to hang out with other people with membership sites. They're going to find it and they may not necessarily know about Lifter yet. And I'm okay with that. It's not like a, um, a pitch fest in there. So I'm intentionally just trying to build a community of course builders, membership people, education entrepreneurs, people who think they might want to do it and create content. It's an unofficial technical support channel too, where the community helps each other, which dramatically decreases our costs in terms of technical support. And we're very appreciative of that when the community does that. So I, I've been in there and I've seen some of the content that you've put out. Like, obviously you have like, kind of like the typical, uh, these are some features of Lifter that we're working on, get your feedback. Uh, but like, what are some of the other types of posts that you would send out to the Facebook group? Oh yeah, this is great. Um, pretty much anything, everything goes to Facebook. I mean, that's my way of doing it. For a while, I was doing uh, some Facebook Lives, which you can do through Zoom, then pipe it into your Facebook group. It's really easy. Um, you can do like I, I do a segment I call Feature Friday, where once a week I make a two to three minute video about a small feature in Lifter that people may not know about. I got that idea from somebody, a former employee at Apple was talking to me about that. Um, I have a podcast, so it gets syndicated through there. I also try to like not in a scripted way, but um, because I'm like our ideal customer, I really sit for a minute and think about what can I talk about or what is a question that I'm struggling with as a course creator and, you know, kind of be vulnerable or talk about a failure. That kind of stuff spurs some interesting conversation. I post polls. Like if we're doing research on like what, what should we build yes, next in the product roadmap, uh, I don't like to build software in a vacuum. So I'm constantly polling the audience about what's important to them or what business problems they're having. And then other just interesting stuff or people that I find on the internet that have stuff that's relevant to course creators, I, I put it in there. That's awesome. That's a spread of it. So you, you talked a bit about how you like titled the group. I've heard that tip before, like don't necessarily title the Facebook group the same as your product or your company name, make it. Yeah, do it your category. Yeah, like your category or like the type of role that the per, that like a, a person of the group would identify themselves with. Um, so aside from people who, who are finding the group organically, like through Facebook, how are you promoting the group? Oh, like crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm really terrified that one day Facebook's going to like put ads in there and totally crush it and destroy it. But I don't care. It's working for me right now. And it seems it gets really good distribution. 
Um, so I'm a big systems builder. So in part, mostly like what I'm talking about right here is just like in terms of like a marketing funnel and a user onboarding funnel. So as soon as somebody downloads the free lifter plugin, you know, there's links and stuff to join the Facebook group. There's follow-up emails about joining the Facebook group. You know, sometimes we have it in our email signatures. You know, we hit it, we mentioned it on Twitter. Lately, I've been experimenting with live chat on our website, which is another kind of community building thing, conversational marketing experiment that I'm running right now. And, you know, oftentimes through the live chat, I'm bringing them into the community. So there's all kinds of different ways. Even when I like a, a pre-sales inquiry to our company, which we get a ton, um, when we have our me or whoever on our team is doing the response, there is a like a kind of a template that goes in there. And then the main, their question gets answered in the middle. But inside that template is an invite to the Facebook group. So it's, it's basically all over the place. Mm, that's cool. What about like moderation or, or like moderating the content and the questions and the things that people are posting in there? Like whether it's people just kind of self-promoting their own stuff or just kind of hocking up all your time, maybe going a bit overboard in the customer support questions inside the Facebook group. Do you ever have to kind of like deal with that and like, and just make sure that your time isn't being, you know, and also just like not wasting the time of the other members of the group. Yeah. So we have like a, you know, a block, like we'll block people if it's like a blatant, like, what do they call it? Uh, I don't know, run and dump or something where someone just comes in and like, hey, buy my course or my software. And then they, there's like no real, you can tell it's just not even a real conversation. Right. It's fine to, for people to like post links to their course and usually they're asking questions like, what do you think of my sales page or I can't get this thing to work or whatever. But yeah, I very like every day I'm blocking and removing people. Well, I shouldn't say blocking. I'm just removing bad apples. And I even had somebody in the community offer to volunteer as a moderator. So it's not just me who has that job and other people in the community, like report posts and stuff. So like, you know, if I log in in the morning and I see like, oh, this has been reported, I'm like, yep, they're out. It. That person's gone. That person's gone. That person's gone. But I pretty much accept anybody who comes. And I think it's just the sign of a healthy group that the group, if it's good and it's of quality, you don't have to do the moderation alone. It will naturally emerge as just a quality of the community itself. Yeah. And the uh, like the higher quality posts get more likes and more comments on them. So those kind of float to the top. Well, you know, maybe the less useful posts just don't see a lot of exposure because not as many people interact with them. Yeah. And I have like a text expander thing where if somebody like sometimes people do stuff that's not it's slightly annoying and not quite what it's there for. They'll tag me with like a support question. We, we have like an official way to get support. I will help people. I try to be as helpful as I possibly can. A lot of times I'll help them. I'll, I'll point them in the right direction, but then I have a kind of a can response that explains how to use the official Lifter LMS support system if that's what they need. So uh, yeah, I've got my little tips and tricks to make myself more efficient. Yeah, that's awesome. So you know, back onto like like Lifter the product, like how has it evolved in, in more you know like the last year or so? Um, I know that you guys have been kind of mixing and matching services to go with the Lifter product. How have you kind of approached that? So as we transitioned out of agency work, um, part of that process, in addition to building the software, is really through a lot of influence from you. And uh, there was another woman, I don't know if you've connected with her, her name is Mandy Ellison. Yeah, yeah, had her on the podcast a couple of weeks back. Oh, really? Yeah, she, she, a long time ago, I connected with her, learned some stuff, went through her stuff. And 
And I remember when you first launched Productize and you're probably the one who cemented the idea in my head like, oh, you mean not every servancy web agency is always has to be this crazy. You can do these packages and like add value through process instead of, you know, just being really smart and capable team of people that can solve a business problem. And it really, uh, so I became obsessed with productized service. We've literally iterated on the offer many times. We're probably on like our fourth, fifth major iteration of what our done for you service is. But it's uh, essentially what it is now is it has to do with uh, instead of just buying a software bundles, like which in the WordPress world is a bunch of zip files, plugins, themes, some graphic design assets and that kind of thing, you actually get a fully functioning site. So you're, you're basically, we move the starting line for a little bit more money above the cost of the software by itself and you know do some color and branding stuff that can really save somebody a lot of time if they're, if they're not like a WordPress website builder and they just want to get to the, if they want to start at the point where it's like just add content, that's where our done for you service is currently at. But that's been a total evolution. We used to install people's content that gets into like content delays as any website builder will be familiar with if they've done agency work. But it's, it's evolved over time. But that has what has become of our agency and why our team is much smaller now. You know, now it's a done for you service, but mostly a software company. Yeah. And when it's powered by your own software, you can deliver that service so much faster and more efficiently. And yeah. And I think we were talking about it when you were on my podcast, LMS Cast. It was in that conversation that an idea came, which was software plus service plus education. So that's kind of what we do is we have software plus service plus education around how to use the software and the other problems that our target market faces. Basically, we just like to surround our customer with help. And it can be a combination of software services and education. And I think any software company can aspire to be that because there's a lot of focus on, you know, like information products and things like that. But I'm just feeling pretty grateful to also have, which I'm really into. I love courses and memberships and stuff. But having a software component too is just a pretty sweet part of the stack. I love it. I mean, it is a stack, you know, because it's like, you're tackling like the mission of the company tackles one core problem, right? Like you're helping customers enable them to educate their customers and and offer courses and offer memberships. But people who have that problem come at it from different angles, right? Like some people want to get their hands dirty. They're a little bit more technical. All they need is the software and they can kind of figure the rest out themselves, maybe follow some documentation. Um, People need a little bit more help than they need more formal training on how to do it themselves or they just kind of have more money than time and they're willing to kind of pay a bit more to have it all done for them, you know, but they still have that underlying need of we need a system to be able to educate our customers with your products. I, I mean, I, especially with what you're doing, this type of product, I mean, like I said, like I've actually been working with Lifter for the last day or two, setting up my productized course on it. And I'm definitely one of the more like do it yourself. Yeah, I'm a do it yourself person, not as capable as most developers are. So I'm, I go slow with it, but I, I actually kind of have some fun with it. But I could totally see that the time investment involved in having to put all these pieces together, and it just really opens the door to a service opportunity for sure. And this is why I'm so really into community and doing things that don't scale, like getting on the phone with prospects and everything. It's really easy to forget. Uh, for example, like for me, that like 
sometimes we're the someone's first introduction to WordPress, which has its own learning curve. So by hanging out with the community a lot, you don't take for granted where you are and how you're different from a customer. Because I think it's really easy to just take that for granted and kind of get the whole curse of knowledge and kind of get stuck and like, why don't they get this? Or why aren't they buying this or whatever? Because there's like this gap between like really understanding where your customer's at. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many service providers out there, you know, consultants, freelancers, agencies who dream of having a a software product to sell so that someday they never have to talk to customers again. But the reality is you do need to talk to customers and you need to start enjoying that side of it like you do and how you've really built an entire strategy around building a community around it. And when you really embrace that, All of a sudden, talking to customers becomes so much more enjoyable than the typical client engagement, you know, that most of us have gone through, whether it's like clients from hell or these rushed deadlines and all this added stress and all this kind of stuff. I mean, once you're dealing with a product and maybe a product plus a service or a productized service where you're focusing on one ideal customer who you've really gotten to know on a deep level, you know, helping them solve their problems in a systematic kind of stress-free, you know, process-oriented way, it can be really enjoyable. Absolutely. And I just want to say like, just to kind of put a bow on it, recently, one of my customers actually invited me to an event in Boston. I had never met them in person before. It was at the company called Drift, who makes this chatbot service that I'm experimenting with. So I met my customer down there and we hung out, had dinner, you know, attended the event together. I got really into Drift and their mission. And there's this whole conversational marketing thing that I'm experimenting with right now. I love what they're doing. Yeah. It includes a lot of high touch engagement. I like how they approach software development by, you know, the problems they're trying to solve. But uh, all that came from, you know, really engaging with my community and my customers and my prospects. And uh, I was thinking back to like my earlier days as a digital entrepreneur, location independent guy. I remember one of my friends at the time, like who, if you look at our evolution, he's more like at that, uh, like passive income for our work week, you know, do whatever, got all this time. Whereas like, I'm really knee deep in community. The company's doing well, but like my, there's a lot of demands on my time, but I'm okay with it. I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah. Love it. So, you know, here we are in, in 2018, as we start to wrap up this call, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, for those who are involved in WordPress, whether they're WordPress designers, developers, I know that there are a lot of copywriters and consultants, marketers who use WordPress. What does the kind of the product landscape look like there? I know that it's gone through a lot of kind of evolutions over the last few years. There's always been like a challenge with pricing and competing with free in, in the WordPress space and all that. But like, where do you see the like things kind of going uh, more broadly with WordPress products and services? Well, I think the big gorilla in the room is that WordPress powers somewhere around 30% of the internet, which is a huge, massive market. And what I was talking about earlier in this interview about when we went to the freemium model and got the distribution of WordPress, which means anybody running a WordPress website can go into their plugins and type the word LMS or membership or something, and they can install our free lifter and hopefully be blown away by the experience. And then we'll capture that as a customer, as an add-on. The distribution is massive. And it's even I think it's pretty hard to comprehend really how big the internet is. WP Engine, which is one of my favorite WordPress hosting companies just got something like $250 million in funding. This ecosystem is growing. More people are coming online. You know, WordPress does have a low barrier to entry. So you do need to figure out how to deal with free. We do that with freemium and we do that 
by creating a free product that's valuable by itself. It's not necessarily like a 30-day trial. It's It can be used for good uses as a free product. So we're able to span that gap of like the free low user to the higher end user. I also, this isn't something I've talked about much publicly, but people can easily find it. I actually do a lot of partial software scholarships. So if someone reaches out to me, like it happens a lot where someone's like, I live in this country, the US dollar, you know, is everything is way too expensive in the currency conversion here, but I really want to try what you have in this paid offer. And they can fill out a scholarship, partial scholarship application. I work with a lot of people that way. So I think the market, like tapping that global market, not just the English speaking world is not to be underestimated. And I would also say that there's still so much opportunity in the WordPress ecosystem for entrepreneurs who are really focused like a laser on solving business problems to come in and build products around that. Because there's a lot of smart developers who make things like do interesting things or designers that make things look pretty, but there's still a ton of business problems that can be solved and have products built in the WordPress ecosystem. I see a lot of new WordPress products and a lot of them are focused on the developer as the target market. And what I'm saying is if we pivot that perspective over to, you know, massage therapists or teachers or, you know, this type of business owner, there's a huge opportunity that's still there. This is still early days. Totally. And I mean, more and more businesses are using work. It's not just a, a fringe thing. It's like, what is it? Like a third of the internet at this point? It's crazy. But, and you know, there, there are a lot of free plugins out there, like little free solutions. And there's just a lot of like, you know, the developer hasn't touched it in two years and like, you know, um, so even if there is a free solution out there to kind of come in with either a premium version of that or a premium version plus a service built around that business problem, there's all sorts of opportunities like that. So yeah, it's a really interesting space for sure. Uh, Chris, this has been awesome. Um, you know, continuing to enjoy what you and your team have been building with Lifter. I'm, I'm actually a customer of it. I've been using it. I'm just really inspired by how you've um, really embraced the whole community aspect of this stuff as well. It's, it's really, really awesome to see. So, uh, so thanks for doing it. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on the show. So folks can definitely check out lifterlms.com. Where else can people uh, connect with you? I'm easy to track down on Twitter at Chris Badgett. And I also have a podcast for course creators and membership site builders called LMS Cast. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Brian. Okay, that wraps it up. Did you enjoy this one? I mean, it couldn't have been that bad. You made it this far into the episode, right? So head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you're not on my newsletter yet, there's a lot more happening over there. And so you'll definitely want to get up to speed. You can join over on my site, castjam.com. Have a great week. Yeah.